Hallelujah. Well, we're going to get into the Word of God today, and I'm going to, those of you who have your Bibles, I'll have you turn to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to continue along the theme of the kingdom, and as you are turning to that chapter, please join me in a brief word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your faithfulness. Father God, your word says that even when we're not faithful, you remain faithful. And, and, and Lord, uh, we just thank you that we can depend on your faithfulness, oh God. Lord, we just ask that uh, even though you've already blessed us tremendously, Lord, you've met us where we're at, you've ministered to us through the worship, Lord, and, and really blessed our souls, Lord. We just uh, yield ourselves to you and, and just invite you to continue to minister to us uh, through the going forth of the word, Lord. Because uh, we want to be doers of your word that bear fruit to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Uh, today's message title is Your Kingdom Come. And, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, and most of us, if not all of us, are very familiar with it. It's a number of things, but for today's message, uh, I will say that it is a code of conduct for kingdom living. Jesus delivered this sermon to his devoted followers so they would know how to behave as kingdom representatives in this world. He didn't just die to give us salvation to to liberate us from the bondage of sin and death, but he also taught and demonstrated for us what living in this freedom, what living in this salvation that he died and rose again to give us ought to look like, how it ought to be carried out. The sermon is three chapters long, and Jesus covers everything. I mean, Starts off with the Beatitudes, the fact that Christ came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. He covers the impact and influence his followers should have in the earth as salt and light. He covers how we're to deal with anger, how to deal with lust, the issue of divorce, making oaths, retaliation, loving your enemies etc., etc., etc. Giving. The list goes on and on. Today's message comes from Matthew chapter 6, which is in the middle, it's the middle chapter of that three-chapter sermon. We will begin at verse 5 and finish at verse 21. And verse 5 begins a very important subject for us was the subject of prayer. I want to read the first four verses, five through eight, because before Jesus tells us how to pray, he spends some time telling us how not to pray. You know, and and that is important. He starts off, and when you pray, I love it. Got a little extra. This one's this part's for free. The first, the first four verses, you know, he deals, one of the issues he deals with, with is, is giving, right? There is, there is no doubt in his mind that the believer is going to give. So he just tells you the heart with which you should give. Likewise, It's a foregone conclusion. It's inevitable that you pray. We're expected to pray. If prayer is not a regular part of your daily life or your walk with the Lord, then that is not God's will for you, right? We are to engage God on a daily basis. We are to engage God in prayer and supplication. Amen? All right. But there is a way to do that. And I won't belabor it, but it says, and when you pray. 
I'm not judging you if you don't pray. I'm telling you if you don't pray, you're not to be satisfied with that. There's, you know, your, your first prayer to God could be, God, I want a desire. Help me, Lord. I have a desire to have a daily devotion with you. I have a desire to engage you in prayer on a daily basis. And, Lord, you know what? Not only do I have the desire, I'm choosing right now to make the commitment to do that. And I ask you humbly to give me the grace. Give me, uh, guide me in the doing of it. Give me the ability to do what it is my heart's desire to do and what I've chosen to commit to do to you. You know, sometimes you don't really become disciplined. You don't really become good at doing something until you commit to doing it. And it may start off as a struggle. It may start off a little bit off balance and it may be an ugly thing at first but being committed to it means you persist in it and the more you persist in it the more you grow in it the better and more effective you become at it and so you know God isn't concerned with how pretty it is and how eloquent it is he's concerned with your the doing of it you're availing yourself to him in prayer and so Uh, That isn't to judge you. That is to spur you on. That is to encourage you. That is to excite you into doing that which will benefit, will ultimately benefit you and your soul and your relationship with the Lord. So when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not listen to them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. You know, there is the notion that our faith is a private thing. But I don't see that in the Bible, right? We are not to be private. Now, we are not to lord it over and we're not to, you know, try to, you know, push things on someone who's not open or what have you. But we're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And how can people know of the gospel if we're not sharing the gospel, living the gospel, letting the gospel be revealed in and through our lives? So, but, but when it comes to the issue of prayer, you know, this isn't about as much about private prayer as it is about not doing something for self-interest. Not doing something to gain the uh, approval or appreciation or recognition of others. Not putting on a show for other people so you can gain some kind of credit in their eyes. The hypocrites were doing that. It wasn't enough for them to pray. They weren't prioritizing a relationship with God. They were prioritizing appearances before man. And so they dolled themselves up and they went out and they engaged in these repetitious phrases and did all these things so that people could observe them doing it and say, look at them. They're so holy. They're so pious. They're so righteous. They're so this. They're so that. And, but the problem is the people doing it were hypocrites. That wasn't the heart for God that they put on in public display was not the heart of God they had in private. Like Jesus said, they honored him with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. And so Jesus is saying, don't be like that. Don't get out there and have your, and be praying with self-serving motives. And Don't be doing everything you can to make sure the most people possible is aware of your need. 
Don't play the, the statistics, the numbers game. The more people that know, the more likely my need is to be met. No, it's like they don't need to see you. God sees you. You take that need and you engage God in your private time with God. And, and the God who already knows your need, you are coming to him humbly and saying, God, I put my need in your hands. I lay it at your feet. And when this need gets met, you will be the only one deserving of the glory for it. Because I'm not going out there and putting on a campaign. I'm not going out there and, and, and engaging in works that can be credited for the provision being met. I'm going to put it in your hands and I'm going to say glory be to God when the need gets met. I don't need man to see what I'm going through because there's a God who sees me even when I feel like I'm not being seen. There's a God who knows me even when I don't feel known. When I feel like a stranger in a crowd full of people, there is one there who knows me intimately and loves me, sometimes in spite of me. Amen? Amen. So let's... So and it doesn't take a whole lot of words <laughs> for a prayer to be effective. It could just be a simple, Lord, you know, like the thief on the cross, when you come into your kingdom, would you please remember me? That's all. This guy was mocking Jesus for hours before he came to that point. And he lived a life of crime that led him to the punishment that he was suffering. He earned that consequence. And he was one of two thieves crucified beside Jesus that mocked him and derisively said, if you who you say you are, then save yourself and us. But something about how Jesus conducted himself, something even on that cross, it became evident to this man that this is not just some ordinary man, that somehow it, God revealed it to him. Somehow he came to understand that this man is the son of God, the Lord of glory. And he used some of his last breaths, breaths to ask him, he would bring him into his kingdom with him. Short prayer. But how did Jesus respond? Truly, today, you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say, hey, it's a good start. <laughs> All right, that's a good start. You're almost there. Keep it coming. No, the words match the heart. And that sincere heart cried out to the Lord for mercy, and Jesus gave it without even batting an eyelash. That's the God that we serve. You know, so, so don't tell me that somebody is beyond redemption. Don't tell me somebody is beyond God's capacity to love them or to forgive them or to redeem them because, you know, standing before you right now is a guy who fit that description in a lot of people's eyes at one point, and, and, and yet here I am. But for the grace of God. Amen? So, whatever we got going on in our lives, let's commit it to prayer. And let's trust God. Let's not do what the hypocrites do. We don't need to publicize it. We don't need to put on a campaign. We just need to go to God with it and trust him. Okay? So, let's go on to verse 9. He goes from how not to pray to how to pray. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven. You know, it's interesting. He doesn't say, each one of you just say, my Father in heaven. You know, we're part of a family. Church is community, right? And God is the Father of us all. Amen? He's not just a God that's off in the distance, disinterested, disinterested in our affairs. He's our heavenly father. 
not just a father, our heavenly father. Heaven is his throne. Earth is his footstool. Amen? Hey, I, I hate it when people refer to God as the man upstairs. No, 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 no. Stop it. We're not going to disrespect God like that. God is God. He's not a man that he should lie. Amen? We were created in his image. Adam was created in his image, right? He was not, we're not going to bring God down to us. He's called us up to him. Amen? So our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. That's not as simple. It's not as as simplistic as it first may seem because the kingdom arrived with Jesus. But he still teaches us to pray, your kingdom come. Right? So that means that it's still... There is still a time at some point in the future in which the kingdom will be a reality for all to see. It will be visible for all to see. It will replace the corruption and the sin and the sickness and all the evil. It will replace all of that as he makes all things new and the kingdom comes in all of his glory and fullness. But in the meantime... You and I, our presence in this world is the presence of the kingdom. You know, is this this the year? I guess 2024 will be the next Olympic year, right? In the Olympics, there are representatives from every nation at the Olympics. And when America shows up, sometimes America shows up, Or an athlete in a particular event, the commentator might say, America is here. Well, wait a minute. America is still in America. Geographically, America is not there. But America is here means the representatives of America are here. The ones who are going to compete in the name of America in this event are here. The kingdom is here in the, in the persons of you and I as representatives of Christ. The kingdom is present. We don't have to wonder about if the kingdom is here. If you know your Bible, you know the kingdom of God is here because the people of God are here. And there, there could be a lot of things going on around us that aren't God, but if we're here, the kingdom is here. And if the kingdom is here, there should be salt. With the salt of the earth, there should be light shining in the midst of the darkness. How many of you know darkness cannot overcome light? Right? So you could have a hundred people walking in darkness and two people walking in light. And guess what's going to overcome? The light. Right? And we've got to know that. You know, that's, we, we, we've got to talk like we believe that if we believe it. Our Father is holy. He is in heaven. And what we're saying, God, your kingdom come. That should be a part of every prayer that we offer up to God. Every day, or at least every day, that prayer should be offered up to God. Your kingdom come. Yeah, we mean it in the sense that we're praying it by faith. We know that someday, a day not known by any man, your kingdom will come. But Father God, we also speak of that in the now, in the right now. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom manifests in our home, in our situation, in our community. 
Lord, throughout the world, your kingdom come. Now, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But I want to temper our expectations when it comes to that. God's will is going to be done. There is not a thing the devil can do to thwart the will and the plan of God. But there will always be people who don't follow the will of God. There will be people in power who are a God unto themselves. There are people in power that could care less what God's will is, and they yield great influence. They, they have great authority, and they have the ability to wreck, ruin lives, and to create great hardship upon us. So this isn't about the world obeying the will of God. This is about having representatives of the kingdom of God who prioritize the will of God and are yielded to God to be used of God in whatever way that will advance the kingdom. Are you hearing me? Right? A lot of times we're so focused on what the world is and is not doing that we lose sight of what our priority must be. And our priority must be whatever the world is doing, we care less as it, you know, I can care less what the world is doing. What matters is what the church is doing. Are we yielded to God? Are we desiring his kingdom not only come in that date in the future, but that it comes and is manifested now? Are we yielded to God for him to use us in whatever way he needs to use us for his kingdom purposes, even if it means, like, like Joseph, even if it means we've got to serve as a servant in Egypt for a season. Those of you who haven't been uh, coming uh, for long, it won't take long for you to realize that probably one of my favorite characters in the Bible is Joseph in the Old Testament. I, I refer to him often. There's still some stuff. I don't know how he did it, but I don't know how you can go through what he went through and still stay uh, so, so humble and still stay full of faith, still trust in God and walk God through all of that betrayal, family betrayal, sold into slavery, all those things. And yet, everywhere he went, the aroma of God just permeated the place. Everywhere he went, his relationship with God was evident. It, it, it manifested even to the blessing of those who didn't serve his God. And one of the things that marvel, that makes me marvel so much, as a husband of 30 years, if my wife accuses you of something and, and you dare call her a liar to me, that's a battle you're probably going to lose. Right? If my wife accuses you of doing something, trying to violate her in some kind of way, uh, I don't know what I would do. It probably wouldn't be godly. I hope it would be. But he lived his life in such a way that when Pharaoh's wife tried to take advantage of him and he fled, tore a piece of his garment, and she accused him of trying to rape her. That's a death sentence. Potiphar, when he addressed Jake, uh, Joseph concerning this issue, when Joseph swore to his God, that he did not do what he was accused of. 
Joseph lived his life before God in such a way that Potiphar immediately knew his wife was lying. Because in him observing the daily relationship, the daily walk with God that Joseph had, he knew that Joseph, even to save his life, would not lie in the name of God. That he knew that if he said in his name, he swore in the name of his God that he didn't do a thing, that that was a settled issue. It was true. And he knew that his wife was lying. That means he knew that his wife was the initiator and that it was his wife that was the intended uh, offender. And yet he did not want to publicly shame his wife. So what do you do? It's supposed to be dead. He's supposed to be killed. His wife wanted him killed. But Potiphar knew the man was telling the truth. That's how he ended up in prison. And you're like, wait a minute, you're walking with God, you're living, with God. you're living for God, you're righteous, and yet you still end up sold as a slave in an ungodly country. You're doing the right thing, you're not wanting to uh, give in to lust, you're not wanting to give in to sin, even to Potiphar's wife, and yet you're making that righteous stand for God and you end up in the pen. And yet, Joseph blessed people in the pen too. I mean, these things are going from bad to worse, from bad to worse. And I want to know when I get to heaven, I want to know wherever his mansion is. I want to go look him up and I want to say, bruh, how'd you do it? You inspired me. You were an inspiration to me. Uh, I I know you had to have some, some, some some weeping nights. I know you had to have some, some kind of uh, emotional breakdown moments and so forth. How did you overcome it and continue to let your light shine as, as, the, as, as the house is burning down around you, right? And all of this stuff started with a dream. God gave him a dream, and the dream was magnificent. People are going to bow to him. And everything that was happening to him seemed to be taking him in the opposite direction. Yet, in reality, it was positioning him to where he needed to be in order for, at the right moment, God to elevate him to the fulfillment of that dream. I say I'll let to say this, that you don't know, we don't always know the meaning or the significance of the circumstances that we've been subjected to. Joseph didn't deserve for his brothers to sell him to slave traders. He didn't deserve to become a slave in Egypt. He didn't deserve to become an inmate in prison. He didn't deserve those things. And if if that was his attitude, I don't deserve this. I can't believe God would do this to me. What kind of God is he? God has abandoned me, left me alone. He would have exhibited an attitude that would have prevented him from being available to God in a way that would have fulfilled the promise or fulfilled the vision of the dream. But even though he didn't understand it, he just kept praying to God. He put the situation including the dream, in the hands of the Lord and trusted God with his future. And, and you may be in a situation not exactly like that, but you may feel like, hey, I'm in a dead-end job. I'm in a job that feels like I'm a slave in Egypt. I'm in a family that's crazily jacked up in the, what, what kind of future can I have when this was my start in life? I've made so, so many mistakes. I've gotten myself here. There's no way that I can somehow turn this lemon into lemonade, right? And I, and I would tell you, you know, that may be, there may be some truth 
in all of those things, but there is an overriding truth that nothing is impossible with God. There is an overriding truth that God is not subject to your circumstances and what he is able to do, right, is it, it, I, it's so far above what our minds can conceive of. <laughs> the Bible says that God can take ashes and turn them into something beautiful. And we need to remember that when we're going to God in prayer, right? God sees us. God is for us. God has a hope and a future plan for us. He created us for a purpose. And he knows the end from the beginning. There is nothing that takes him by surprise. So when I engage God in prayer, one, whatever going on around us, we have to be purposeful. We're going to engage God in prayer concerning those things around us. And we're going to entrust them to him. And we're not going to have some preconceived notion about how God is going to do it or supposed to do it. We're just going to trust God and, 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 and know that he's going to work it out. In his own way, he's going to work it out. Our job is to walk by faith not by sight. Can we trust God enough there? And so your kingdom come, your will be done. And if we're free from worrying about all those uh, outside factors that we don't have control of, then that liberates us to fully engage God about his kingdom coming and his will being done in our lives. We're not confused. We're not double-minded. We're just focused. What I'm going through, I may not like it. But I trust it's part of God's will and God's plan. And somehow, some way, even though I don't see it, there's a way of escape. Somehow, some way, even though I don't see it, there's victory to be had here. Somehow, some way, even though I don't see it, God's going to turn this around for my good. It's like a cake. Boy, we love the end result. But if you look at the, in, the ingredients individually, there's some stuff in there you wouldn't want to eat by itself. I love cake, but I'm not going to down a cup of flour. Right? <laughs> right? And so it, it doesn't mean that everything that happens is going to be good. It just means it's, you know, it's going to end up for our good. You know, you take the flour, you take the sugar, you take all this other stuff, you batter, cook it in a batter, and the end result is something amazing. But there's some bitter stuff in there mixed in with some sweet stuff. And we've just got to put our minds around that. God, I'm willing to endure the bitter along with the sweet. I am in this for the long haul. And I'm even willing, you know, you can't get a cake without heat. So there's bitter with the sweet, and then you put me in the oven to bake. God, I'm willing to endure the heat for you. I'll take the bitter along with the sweet. Your will, all I want is your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we have the responsibility to carry out his will on earth. Are you hearing me? That's on us. And all who would come to Christ through our witness of him. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil and it's just more of the same give us this day our daily bread even that you didn't say give us this week give us this month give us this season it's like Lord Day by day, 
Lord, give me today the daily bread. Not just food to eat, but Lord, I'm going to need the capacity to forgive someone who may offend me today. I'm going to need the capacity to love somebody that mistreats me today. Whatever I need physically, mentally, spiritually, today, whatever I'm going to need, somebody's going to cut me off on the road today. Somebody's going to be looking at their phone when the light turns green and it's going to, it's going to cause enough of a delay that we're both going to miss the green light. And we're going to have to wait for another rotation. And Lord, I'm, I'm going to need your daily bread. Because even though that person can't hear what I'm saying in my car, I want the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart to be glorifying, to be representative of the kingdom that I am a part of. My family will tell you that isn't always the case with me. I own it. And in those moments, I have to apologize for not being the example I should have been. But there is a desire in my heart to represent Christ well, whether people can hear me or not. Because at the end of the day, it's between me and him. And, and whether or not I've made the choice to follow Jesus no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation. And the more that we practice that in those moments where nobody else can hear, we're preparing ourselves to do the same in those moments where there's an audience. We don't have to fake it. We don't have to become hypocrites. We're just doing what we've purposed to do when nobody was watching or hearing. We're not doing it for an audience of many. We're doing it for the audience of one. So your daily bread, your daily provision, God is the source of it. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Could be said, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Let us always remember that we have a debt, that we had a debt that Jesus paid for us. And even though we are among the redeemed now, we cannot forget, we cannot gloss over, we cannot make light of the fact that the only reason we are among the redeemed by now is because of what Christ has done for us. And it is by grace through faith that we are the redeemed. Amen? That requires a divine work of God. So those who have yet to come to that revelation, right, we need to uh, at least have enough compassion to understand where they're at. They're still in bondage. To sin and death. They still have a destination called hell, a destination for the lake of fire. And you know what? God doesn't want to put them there. But that's where they'll be apart from Jesus. All right? And so, at the very least, we can forgive those, whether they be believers or unbelievers, forgive their debts. Because we are walking in the forgiveness, the unmerited forgiveness of God. So the right kind of prayer will freely bring its own needs to God. Needs like daily provision, forgiveness, strength and facing temptation. The 
That's the right kind of prayer. You notice this Lord's prayer doesn't target societal issues or cultural issues. This is God, this is me and you right here. I'm engaging my heavenly father. I want your kingdom to come, your will be done on earth as as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those. You know, there comes a point when your forgiveness is tied to your ability and willingness to forgive. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. This is how Jesus is instructing us to pray. So when you mess up and you're asking God for forgiveness, you better not be that person that refuses to forgive the one who messed up against you. You know, and I think we're unlikely to be those people if that's our daily prayer, our daily focus, if we're endeavoring to obey Christ here, that we're going to be forgivers as we are forgiven. All right, let's go on. Uh, we still got a little bit to get to, and I will uh, try to pick up the tempo here a little bit. Verse 14 goes on from prayer. So prayer is one, and, now, and, and when I wrap it up, there will be a connection between prayer and all these other instructions that I'm about to read from 14 to 21. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Doesn't mean you're not saved. But if you're going to want God to forgive you, being redeemed, being saved, and you still growing in the Lord, still imperfect, you're committing sins, and we're, you're confessing those sins and wanting and asking God to forgive you, then you better be committed to forgiving others who have sinned against you. Otherwise, that forgiveness for those sins are not there. And sometimes we'll wonder, why is God's grace not there? Why has God allowed this or that and the other, me to suffer this or that and the other? So, okay, well, let's, let's, let's examine. Let's have a conversation. Is there any bitterness and unforgiveness in your life and in your heart that has closed forgiveness off for you if so God loves you he wants you to deal with that let's deal with that let's let's give it to God so the issue of forgiveness I love it that he doesn't just say forgive it's like no I really mean this if you don't forgive you don't get forgiveness and when you fast Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So not only do we have forgiveness being required for those who have been forgiven. He deals with the issue of fasting when you had scribes and Pharisees who would make sure that everybody knew they were fasting. They would have a sad countenance, as the scripture says here. They would kind of disfigure their faces so that their fasting would be evident to everyone. But Jesus said about them, Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. There's no reward coming from heaven for that. They've made sure that they got a reward from man. So when people engage in spiritual efforts to gain the admiration of others, they may indeed get the the admiration they seek, but that's all the reward they will ever get. 
There will be no reward from heaven for that behavior. But the problem isn't necessarily about other people knowing. The problem is promoting self-interest over kingdom interests. When they're doing all this, they're promoting their self-interest above kingdom interests, getting the attention and admiration of others. So Jesus is saying, don't worry about recognition and admiration of others. When you fast, keep it between you and the Lord and take care of yourself as you normally would. Why? Because God sees you. The one who needs to see you, sees you. That was said earlier and it's repeated here. He sees you. He sees your prayer and your needs. You don't have to telegraph. He sees you when you're fasting. He knows why you're fasting. You don't have to telegraph it. You don't have to promote it. He sees you. And then finally, verse 19 through 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In the materialistic world we live in, studies have shown that we tend to think that if we earn double our current salary, then we could have the good life. I remember a study when I was in college along those lines, and I was in family relations, child development with an emphasis in youth and adult counseling, and so these kinds of studies interested me. I don't just want to know what, what people do, but why they do it, you know. But they study people from different, econo different le economic levels and found a consistent trend. It didn't matter if you made 25 to 30,000 a year, 60,000 a year, $120,000 a year, when asked the question, how much would you need in order for you to believe, for you to be able to live the good life? Pretty consistently, the answer was twice what they were making. So the person making 25 to 30 needed 50 to 60. The person making 60 needed 120, or thought they did. The person made 120 thought, hey, if I can make a quarter meal, We tend to think we need more in order to be satisfied, in order to be happy. But what that study shows is it doesn't matter how much you make. Whether you make 25, 50, 100, 200, you're still going to have the same feeling that you need more. And that mindset drives people to store up treasures on earth in pursuit of the elusive good life. Now, there is nothing intrinsically wrong with earthly treasures. Money is not evil. The love of it is. Treasure isn't bad. The pursuit of it is. The problem for Christians is when nothing's intrinsically wrong with earthly treasures, but the problem for Christians specific, per, uh, uh, particularly is when we or if we overvalue earthly treasures in pursuit of some earthly ideal. We live in the world. I mean, of course, we're going to be affected by some of the mindsets that are there. We used to live in the world, and now we're believers, but yet there is this work of sanctification that's still being done in us. There are still worldly mindsets, worldly ideals, worldly thoughts that need to be worked out of us. Amen? 
I can admit that of myself. I hope we all can admit that of ourselves. And so we need to be careful not to overvalue earthly treasures in the pursuit of some earthly ideal that's not God's will for us. Because the pursuit of that earthly ideal creates a hunger for more that is never satisfied. But the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, that godliness with contentment is great gain. You know what? Whether we make 30, 60, 120K, or whatever, we can acknowledge our needs before God, but can we be content with such things that we have? Trust God with the needs that arise, but not be so after earthly treasures that we are among those who are miserable because we're never satisfied. Those who thought that they would make 60K, everything would be all right, they get to 60K, and, 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 and the um, appetite was not sated. The appetite was not satisfied. And so, okay, well, hey, let's double it again. And you keep on going. It's an unsatisfiable hunger because that satisfaction can't be filled with material wealth. It can only be fulfilled in and through Christ. Amen? And so, instead of viewing them as resources to be managed for the kingdom purposes, we end up pursuing that ideal. And God wants us to get off of that worldly train, the pursuit of earthly treasures. And I do want to point out, before I make my final word here, Jesus does not say it's wrong to possess earthly treasures. He does say it is wrong to lay it up for yourself. So what does it mean then? He doesn't want us to lay up earthly treasures for ourselves. He wants us to lay up treasures in heaven. So what does that mean about the treasures that we do have on this earth? Do they belong to us? No. They don't belong to us. They belong to God. They are resources for us to manage for the furtherance of his kingdom. Amen? And so when we talk about your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, well, the resources that God has blessed us with fall up under the authority of his will being done and his kingdom coming. And so, you know, that doesn't happen if we are laying up treasures on earth for ourselves. Then that puts us, it's going to put us in conflict with God's will versus our will. Because we're laying up these treasures on earth, not for God, but for ourselves. So when God wants us to use those resources for kingdom purposes, whoa, 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 now that's a big slice of the pie that's coming out of my account. And how do I make up for that? And so this is important so that we don't walk in conflict and that we uh, know what God's instruction for us, how we're to handle our emotions, uh, what kind of character we're supposed to be about, how our prayer life, our resources, all those things belong to God. And you know, just listening to all of this stuff, our daily bread or our provision, in, in, in summation, our daily bread, give us this day our daily bread. Forgiving people's debts as we have been forgiven. Fasting and praying, not so others can see, but trusting that God can see, and, and then treasures up for heaven. Basically, the question I want to, or the thing I want to say in summation is, Believe in the economy of God. Accounts always balance with God. 
Yes, unfortunate circumstances may have caused a need that is too big for you to supply for yourself, but you can believe in the economy of God. You don't have to go out and make the world know about it. You can take it to God in prayer. And though no one else sees it, God sees it. And he alone is enough, more than enough, to make that happen. Right? Believe in the economy of God. Now, someone may have mistreated you. And you don't have to put up with that. But God says, you don't have to put up with it, but you got to forgive them. They may not know the depths of what they did. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. They may not be remorseful. And they may not have learned a lesson and, and, uh, that, that will prevent them from doing it again, but that's not your concern. Your concern is what does God require of you? As someone who has been forgiven, he commands you to forgive. And so you've got to forgive them and let them go, not because they deserve it, but because God deserves it. And he's called you to it. And you've got to decide, am I going to obey God or not in this? And as, it, and as it pertains to your livelihoods or your situations, whether they be school, work, however much, you, however much you make, there may be concern for your future. And the future is an uncertain thing. Tomorrow is not promised to anyone. But if God willing, you see tomorrow, you don't need to fear because we know the one who holds the future. Right? We don't know what tomorrow brings. We don't know what next year brings or what 10 years bring down the line. And we don't know how we're going to make ends meet with these, with these kids, with this big family, and, and the economy has turned the way that it's turned and whatnot. Things are a lot tighter, and we don't know. If it, it, we don't know how long we can withstand the current situation. I tell you what, there is one you can lean on. Believe in his economy. Take it to him in prayer. Believe the truth that he is faithful even when we aren't. And there is nothing that he can't do. He'll part a Red Sea for you. He will demolish a wall of Jericho for you. He will do what needs to be done. He will, he's a way maker that will make a way for you where there seems to be no way. Hallelujah. In the midst of all these instructions, these do's and don'ts, this, all that, just remember, believe in the economy of God. You will not be found wanting or lacking. You will not be abandoned He will not be destroyed because there is one who fights for you. There's one who looks over you. There's one who provides for you that will not let that happen. Amen. Hallelujah. And so let that liberate you so that you can feel free to store for yourselves treasures in heaven. See, because thieves can't get it. Thieves can't, thieves can't get in there. Corruption has no place there. That is an eternal reward that has a precious eternal value. What this earth, will, what this earth offers is mere trinkets. Perishable. 
trinkets. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you to stand. Hallelujah. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you so much for your holy word. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount covered so many issues of life. Both practical and spiritual. Corrected so many wrong beliefs and bad doctrine. Told us what marriage should look like, how divorce should be handled. Told us not just to put up with our enemies, but to love our enemies. To forgive those who have offended us. To do nothing, whether it be prayer, giving, fasting, to do nothing for the praise and admiration of others. To do it not for any personal benefit, but to do it privately, just before, just before you. And to store up treasures not on earth, but in heaven. All of this tells us, Lord, that we need to believe in your economy. We need to believe in your faithfulness. Not in our own understanding, but trusting in the character and faithfulness and goodness of our God. So thank you, Lord, for speaking to us today, Lord, convicting our hearts, Lord, and giving us truth that we can grab a hold on, chew on, consume, and put into practice in our lives that makes us, that will make us more effective followers and ambassadors for Christ. Use us, God. In this place and in this time that you have planted us, Lord, my prayer, as I said last week, my prayer is that we embrace where you planted us, that we establish roots where you planted us, that we might grow and bloom. in those areas that you have planted us. We may have been planted in areas where darkness is prevailing, but Lord, there's a reason you've planted us there. And I pray that we bloom where you've planted us, that we might have the kind of impact and influence that can pull those who are walking in darkness into your marvelous light. And that heaven that heaven might rejoice for the sinners that have repented. And that we will rejoice right along with heaven because we know that our God is pleased and that he's been exalted and glorified through us in this day and time. Lord, continue to work in our lives conform us into the image of Christ continue to make us effective witnesses for you we love you your kingdom come your will be done on earth in our lives 
as it is in heaven, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. May the blessing of the Lord be upon you all. Love you. God bless. And I'll see you guys next week. Yes, sir.